Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today is Wednesday. Listen to the show the day it comes out. That would be Wednesday, June 9th. And every Wednesday is hump day, middle of the week. And it's also mailbag day, which means you, the fan, uh, you, the listener, I should say, you set, you submit questions to Eric and I. Eric scrolls through all the questions we receive each week. And we select the best four to six or so questions. And uh, you dictate what we talk about on and on this show this week. Uh, we've got a lot of, I think, football-centric, football recruiting-centric questions. And I, the first one is, I think, a really interesting discussion because I think there are going to be some guys that have a legitimate chance of being in this discussion here in the next couple of years. And uh, I think this is a good starting spot for Eric and I to start with. Yeah, we're going to start with a question from at QuackAttack123. Which player would you say has the best chance to be in serious Heisman Trophy consideration in the near future? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, wanted to point to the part where he says near future. I'm uh, using that to indicate we can talk 22, 23 and beyond um, about this sort of pick because I think if you just were to say 2021, the list is really short and probably just there's not really an – I don't know. I don't feel like there's someone on this team on this season who really has a chance to win the award. So I think I'd go down the line further. Um, I had three names pop up here, Matt, and, and yeah. I'll, I'll name the first one, and this is the one with maybe the best immediate chance. And I think that would just be Kayvon Thibodeau. He's already said he wants to win the award, so he's kind of already created his own candidacy. Um I think he's the most talented player on the roster period and, and arguably one of the most talented players Oregon's ever had. And I think he's a player who's really well known nationally. So there's a couple positive things. I think he's already a big name. I think if there is a defensive player who's going to be in consideration for this sort of um, award, his name would certainly be, be near the top of it. Now, the one caveat here is defensive players just never win this award. So um, it, I don't even know what it would require for Kayvon to win this, but it would probably be like record setting sack numbers. He might need to break the, you know, Terrell Suggs's career or single season sack record, which is like 24 sacks or something outlandish like that to really even have a chance at winning this award because you have to go back to Charles Woodson in the mid nineties to see a defensive player who's won it. And frankly, you have to go back, you know, since Charles Woodson, it's basically been a quarterback award and obviously came on typical plays defense. So I think that's a name I would think of if we're just talking 2021, um, but I would admittedly say, like, as much as I love Kayvon Thibodeau, I think he's going to be one of the best defensive players in the country, and he's probably going to have a chance to win a lot of those sort of awards. Heisman's just a tough one for a defensive player to win. Yeah. Yeah, Heisman, I think Kayvon Thibodeau has the best chance to be the number one draft pick outside of quarterbacks. Like, typically, the, the Heisman Trophy and the first-round draft pick have morphed into basically – not necessarily the best player in the country for that sport, but more so just the position or the award for the best quarterback. Um, yeah. Typically, that's kind of how it's gone. I, I think if if you look at Thibodeau and say, okay, where does he stack up against other players not named quarterback from an NFL draft perspective? I think he has the highest ceiling, the best potential. Agree, and agree. is going to be would be the number one picks if like the Chargers or if Jacksonville or the Bengals they end up getting the first pick in the draft they don't need a quarterback or the Dolphins they don't need a quarterback so they would 
draft best player available, which would be Kayvon. Um, I just think it's going to be incredibly difficult for him to win. I don't think it's realistic for him to win the Heisman. Um, he, he will certainly be in the discussion. I, I think that is very realistic. I, I think there is probably a scenario out there that is more than like a 1% chance um, that you look at it and say, eh, it's going to take a good year. It's going to take things going the bound, you know, to go the right way. But at the same time, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he gets invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony. Like, I, I think that's kind of the realistic realm for him, but I'm not going to sign off on him being uh, one of the guys that, that has a, the best chance to win the award. And for, for me, Eric, I, I think there's, I'm with you. I think there's three guys on this team that have the best chance and they all play the same position. And they're the, the three freshman quarterbacks. That was where I was going to go next. That that's who I think has the best chance is whoever wins the job next between those three guys in this offense with the skill positions. We, you know, I mean, think about the difference, like Justin Herbert and Marcus Mariota never had receiver talent, like what Jay Butterfield or Ty Thompson or Robbie Ashford will have. Assuming everything, a lot of these guys stick around and it works out. It is going to be an incredible complement of weapons. So I'm with you. If you want to talk about who I would say, like if we're doing this, just ranking it from most likely to least likely of the three names I have here, the three people I have here, because I do have another name um, that's not a quarterback that is like maybe more of a dark dark horse. Wh- whoever is Oregon's next starting quarterback in 2022 would be the one I would say has a the best chance and probably the best chance since, well, I guess Justin Herbert, but you know, it, 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 I guess Marcus Mariota won one. So in a while, I mean, because or- Oregon just hasn't had, you know, aside from Herbert and Mariota, really this kind of caliber player, I guess not Michael James, if you go back to 2011, but it feels like those three guys, one of those guys could be really, really special. And with the offense and with where Oregon's going to be at, I think from a exposure and notoriety perspective as a, the premier team out West, I do think there's a legitimate chance. One of those guys wins it. I'm not going to make a, a bet here in terms of who's actually going to win the starting job down the line, because that just feels like kind of foolhardy, but I agree. I think one of those three guys would be the, the best bet among anyone on this list, because as you said, Matt, it's a quarterback's award. It's no longer the best player in football. It's the best quarterback, probably on one of the best teams, or at least the best quarterback who puts up the best stats on a good team. And I think Oregon will have quarterbacks who will be in position to, to kind of carry some of those, what are now becoming the attributes you, you kind of tend to see with this award. Um, the other name I had here would just be CJ Verdell. Um, and that would be for this year if he just runs absolutely wild. Um, right. I, I made that note. Gosh, maybe a month ago, I was thinking after the spring game of I wouldn't be stunned if if he just has a really really good senior year. He stays healthy all the way through. He fulfills all of you know his talent. He doesn't miss time. He's already talked about shooting for breaking school records of getting to two thousand yards. If he actually does that, I don't think I pro- probably doesn't win the award unless Oregon has is undefeated. Like if Oregon beats Ohio State and then runs through Pac twelve play undefeated, maybe he wins the award if he runs for two thousand yards, but. Even then, it's probably hard, but I figured his name had to be mentioned because um, if he is able to put up big, big time rushing stats this upcoming season, I think he'll at least be in the consideration, at least be in the talks, but probably not somebody who can actually win the award um, just because as we've established, it's really become a quarterback's award. I know we saw a wide receiver win last year and that was fun. I just don't necessarily think that's going to be something we can count on every year. Do you think there's a possibility though that like, 
let's group the receivers, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, mm-hmm. into the mix. Do you think right. there's a possibility that one of those guys could maybe have uh, just an insane year like Devontae Smith did at Alabama um, and put himself in that discussion? Like, what happens if maybe Ty Thompson or Jay Butter, you know, one of the freshman quarterbacks, they, they, they get the job next year and they're really good. Anthony Brown has a really good year this year as a senior and, and Franklin, let's say it's, let's say it's Troy Franklin. Franklin goes for like 30 catches and, and seven, you know, 580 yards and, and five touchdowns as a freshman. And then as a sophomore, just doubles it and is now into the thousand receiver rank. And then as a junior with an experienced O line, an experienced quarterback, more talent around the offense just goes nuts and has like an 1800 yard season and 15 touchdowns. Do you think Troy Franklin could be that guy? Like, do you think there's a possibility that Oregon has the talent receiver right now to, to have a, a Devonte Smith re- replay essentially? I think, well, a couple of things went into Smith winning it. And, and it was that Alabama as a program can have two candidates that can be, you know, cause Mac Jones was also up there. My concern with an, with this scenario is I, I just wonder if, it would take it, the player would have to be so freaking special because what happens traditionally is you have a big time wide receiver, the quarterback gets those stats, and it's the quarterback who's then kind of positions himself for the sort of an award. And why I said the Alabama thing is kind of an outlier is because the way the voting is constructed, Alabama's gonna the Alabama's players are gonna get votes all throughout the country. I don't know if that's gonna be the case at a school like Oregon, um, where they can manage to have two legitimate Heisman Trophy candidates. Because I, I do think, unless it's a weird year where like. Maybe maybe Troy Franklin has an incredible stats and multiple quarterbacks for Oregon play due to injury, due to right. a change, due to maybe it's a two quarterback system or something. Maybe that would open the door. But I just think if it's if it's going to be Troy Franklin against quarterback, whoever the starting quarterback is, that starting quarterback is going to take enough of the votes from him to probably make it tough to win. And more than likely, he's going to get more votes than Franklin just because that's the way this is constructed. I think it was very unusual last year the way that Devontae Smith and Mac Jones kind of shared the vote and that the, sp- the skill position player won it over the quarterback. And I just think that has in part to do with the, the program Alabama's built where it can kind of sustain a couple of different guys and still get votes nationally. Because I, I would be wary of splitting votes at a Pac-12 school. You really don't want to do that because it's just yeah, hard to get the national recognition. Yep. It's, if, if the vote gets split out West, the West's not winning. Mm-hmm. Like you have to see what Mariota did where he dominates the West. He dominates the Midwest and basically splits everywhere else. Well, and, and shoot, you probably can't have a player in the Pac-12 who's really good too, because he yeah. might take some of the vote. Like you really have to dominate that vote. Well, that's what I, I mean, that's what I was even talking about. But yeah, you're sure. right. Like splitting within the team is one thing, but then like even like if there's two legitimate Heisman candidates out West where you're like, they're definitely a finalist for the award. I don't think either of them will win unless yeah. it's, it's just an insane year where one of those two guys, it goes down as being one of the greatest players ever in the sport. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that's what it requires. And it's tough to see that happening. Um, but Hey, I think it's going to be really fun. And, and I, I said, there were three names. I think it's worth noting that one of those young freshman receivers could, could maybe work himself into that discussion just because you're right. These are the best receivers Oregon's ever had. And I think it's going to be an offense with a quarterback who's, who's going to do some big things. So I think the passing attack the next couple of years is going to be awesome. And, and if they are going to win this award, it's probably going to be somebody involved in that element of the offense. All right. Next one from at Franklin Jubar. 
And I, I moved this up in the queue, Matt, because it ties into what we were just talking about. Question is, should and will Troy Franklin be a starter? Um, he doesn't in- include when, but I'm assuming he's talking about immediately this upcoming season. Um, and in that case, I think that's a tough ask, frankly. I just posted a, um, a story uh, earlier this week, uh, Spring Rewind. I've been doing it for a bunch of uh, Oregon's early enrollees. We're going to have 13 early enrollees. I think I've got about half of them done. And I did one on Franklin. And kind of where I landed was it's kind of hard to project him as a starter when you've got four players back who are starters, who yeah. had a starting experience, who are all more experienced than him. And frankly, like most of them probably about as talented, if not, you know, I mean, maybe not all more talented, but really talented players. Like I think Devin Williams is comparable in, in, in terms of talent. I think Micah Pittman's comparable in terms of talent. I think Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red are at the very least near the same kind of caliber of talent. And then also like four or five years older. So it's, it's a tough ask for me to expect him to start. I, what I will also say is he did get some first team run in the spring game with all of those guys that I know Jalen red was unavailable. Um, but the fact that he kind of was getting a little bit of an opportunity out there with the first team, I thought was notable. So I think right now, and we've said this before, there's a top four, with Oregon's wide receiver hierarchy. And I mentioned the names a second ago, you know, Johnson, Red, Williams, and Pittman. And I think Franklin's probably the fifth guy in that conversation. I just think it's going to be tough for him to jump to four and even tougher for him to jump to three. Cause to do that, he has to either displace like a couple of those seniors or displace Williams and Pittman, who I think are really talented players in their own right. I, I think there's a legit possibility that Franklin enters the discussion as a top four receiver, but I'm with you. I I think it'll be, it'll be difficult for him to crack the top three. I do think at times he will play as he'll have a game where he was clear cut. The number one guy, like, like from a production standpoint, from a target standpoint, from just pure talent, you'll see, and you'll walk away feeling like, wow, he's their best receiver. And then there will also be games, I think, like where it's a typical freshman where he'll struggle or he just won't get open and the targets won't be there. And he'll have maybe one catch for 15 yards and two total targets. And you walk away thinking like, wow, he was, I mean, I don't want to say non-factor, but wasn't heavily involved from a production standpoint, maybe as a decoy, but I, I think that's going to be the case where we're, there's going to be weeks where we're like just trying to put down the fire and the expectations of, yeah. oh, my God, he is amazing. And then at the same time, two weeks later saying, don't worry about it. Things are going to be OK. He's only a freshman. He's getting better. Focus on the big picture type thing with, with him. And so I, I think I mean, how often, Eric, has a freshman shown up and at Oregon and instantly become a top three guy on this team at the receiver spot. I, I, I think Johnny Johnson is maybe the first that's that, that came. That was the first name I had and think about, and this is no offense to Johnny Johnson, but think about how bad the receiver core was at that time. And now compare it to this group and you've got Johnny Johnson, you've got Jalen red You've got Devin Williams. You've got Micah Pittman. We've got a bunch of freshmen. We've got a couple younger guys on this team, like Chris Hudson and Josh Delgado, that have 
had significant impact already as freshmen or second year guys. And so I just look at it and look at it from a realistic vantage point of, I think Troy Franklin's going to be a dude. It wouldn't surprise me if he's a freshman all American. I just don't think he's going to consistently be a top three receiver on this team. I just, well, before I move on, I wanted to provide context on the giant Johnson starting thing. Here's who he, here's who Oregon's like top five receivers aside from him were Dylan Mitchell, who was quite good. Charles Nelson, who was in his senior season. And then it was Malik Lovett, Brendan Schooler, and Taj Griffin. That's the way the depth yeah. chart was constructed. And Taj Griffin's like a converted running back. who I don't even think played very much that season, um, but he was listed there on the depth chart. So, and that just provides you the context. It's so different now than it was four years ago at this position. And, and I know we, you think about true freshmen starting, it's different when the roster is comprised the way it is now. This is just so much different. It's an extremely talented wide receiver crew. We said this before. And actually, I think just the context of what I just read sort of tells you the, the progress that this program has made at that position. It was, the, the cupboard was bare when Willie Taggart arrived and when Mario Cristobal arrived. And it has gone from a situation where it was a weakness on the team to where I legitimately think it's the strength of the team. And that makes it difficult for a player like Franklin, even as talented as he is, to come in and start. Four years ago, he would have come in and probably been the team's top receiver. 100%. Or, or pushed Dylan Mitchell to be. And Mitchell had a, one of the best seasons, I think, that year in program history. So maybe he wouldn't have displaced him. But those two would have been the top two receivers without a question. Right. Um, right. It's just different now. I just think you look at it and, and you have to understand, you have to give the props to the guys that are on the team right now. Like Exactly. Oregon's at that point now where, as a program, there aren't bad years in recruiting cycles under Mario Cristobal. Every year, they're bringing in dudes. So every year, it gets that much more difficult for a true freshman to show up and instantly become one of the best players at the position. All right, next that's a good thing. Next one from at Louis Bond. Oregon will be in the college football playoff this year if they – blank and Oregon will lose two to three games this year. If they blank hashtag odds and audibles, we're doing a fill in the blank question. I think this might be Matt, our first fill in the blank question in podcast history. So Luis, yes. there you go. There's, there's some podcast history for you. Um, fun question in terms of trying to determine kind of what will be required for the season to go well, as opposed to not well. And then we should note the expectation for a, a successful season is college football playoff is, you know, winning the conference and a disappointing season would be to lose two to three games, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, maybe, maybe not two games is disappointing, but it would probably, for some people, be considered a step in the direction they don't want it to be going. So um, I think that's interesting in terms of that was the context provided here of, of, of college football playoff for two to three losses. In terms of what it would take there, I mean, I think for me, I think for both questions, it, to me, it really comes quarterback down to play. quarterback play. Exactly. Like, I, I feel like the rest of the team is set up to really, really be, to do it. I mean, and I've, I've, you know, and that's where it was disappointing that Tyler Shuck's development didn't get there and that Oregon does not open 2021 with a second year starting quarterback who took some lumps last year, but really is ready to be the guy. And the fact, I'm not saying Anthony Brown in this circumstance is necessarily worse off than Tyler Shuck would be in a second year, but let's just say it's, a starting quarterback that the fan base is really behind and thinks is good. I think the fan base would much prefer to have a second year starting quarterback yeah. guy who's got a year into the offense than somebody who's going to be his first snap against Fresno state will be his first start. Um, that's not optimal. So that that's the unfortunate part of what happened last year is that regardless of Tyler Shuck and what you think of him, 
you wanted whoever that quarterback to be the guy going forward to carry it into this season. Cause we've talked about it for a couple of years. I remember in 2019, after the season ended, we were talking, well, 2020 may be a bit of a rebuilding year, but 21 is the year to look out for. And now 2021 is about to uh, approach. And the one position that you don't feel great about is quarterback. And that's, that's a disappointing outcome. I don't know if I don't feel great about quarterback. I don't know how to feel about. Yeah. And and that doesn't feel great for me if I'm kind of clueless on it, but yeah, no, exactly. Go ahead. Like I, I, I think Anthony Brown could be really good. He's had moments where he's been really good at Boston college. But he's also had those moments ruined by injury. And I wa- and so you also come onto the fact of, okay, Anthony Brown has had some solid games, but he's also not played against or with the level of talent that he will have at Oregon. So maybe that elevates his standard up again. But at the same time, you go back, but he also hasn't had a full year where you like walk away thinking that was amazing. That was a really good year from him. Um, he he had some injuries, and that's no fault to himself. You can't blame people for getting hurt. But he's also had some some years where he tailed off and, and didn't finish strong. Um, and, and maybe that's because of underlying injuries that we just didn't know about. Um, guys get nicked up every year, and no one's 100% at the end of the season when, from when they start. But I don't know what to think about quarterback. That's the weird thing because – we didn't see a ton of him in 2020, and it felt like when we did see him, he was operating under a limited playbook, and the options and the things that he could do were kind of, um, I don't know, hand-strapped a little bit. Like, there was only a certain amount of plays that they, were, that they really felt comfortable with doing because yeah. he hadn't done a lot of it the rest of the year. And so I don't know what to think about Anthony Brown. And I think that's that's where I fall is at the quarterback spot is I think their defense is going to be legit. I think their receivers and their running backs and their tight ends will be good. I do have some concern at offensive line. I mean, they weren't very good uh, running the football. And, you know, but uh, there's also, you know, a built-in reason for that. You know, it was five new starters with no training camp, a very limited offseason a fall camp that was started and stopped and restarted again, their development was, and that's the position that that's the hardest to develop and their development was hindered by that. So maybe a full year, the full preparation of getting ready will help that. But I'm, I'm more confident that Oregon's offensive line will take a big jump than I am at quarterback because I don't know what they have in Anthony Brown because we didn't see very much of him last season. Yeah. I, I had two other positions that I think I have concerns with, and you just you just discussed one of them. And that's the offensive line. I I probably should be feeling better because they bring back every starter. They bring back their top rotation guy. They just signed the best offensive lineman in program history. They've got a couple of other young offensive linemen that Alex Mirabal and Mario Cristobal have really raved about and talked about the development of a Logan Sagapalu or a Jonathan Dennis or the progress that a Jackson Powers Johnson has made even in the spring. Like I should feel better, but I wasn't super impressed with what I saw last year. And I am kind of entering the offseason going quarterback and offensive line for the offense are the two positions that really could hamstring or slow down this offense, or maybe be the, you know, the reason why they don't compete for a college football playoff or the reason they lose a couple games. Um, defensively, the only spot I'm, I'm, I'm kind of concerned that is just at corner. Um, 
I think Mikhail, I know Mikhail Wright is really good. He was a first team all conference player. He's a borderline all American candidate this year, probably going to go pro after the season. Like he's as good, as talented as any corner Oregon's produced the last two to three to four years. I think he'll go down in the same conversation as Thomas Graham and Diamond Lenore in terms of their talents, you know, good players that'll probably go on and have really strong NFL careers. I just don't know enough about the other spot. And, this is a conference that throws the football a lot. They're going to play Ohio State, which is obviously yep. has been a very potent offense. You think about the receivers that have come through there. And if it's a massive mismatch game to game at the other corner spot, and I'm not suggesting it, it has to be or definitely going to be, but if it is, that's going to be a problem. If DJ James can't defend very well, that's a problem. If they end up inserting a Tricos Bridges or a Dante Manning or Jalen Davies or Avante Dickerson, some of these two freshmen, that's a problem. So I think defensively for me, I feel great about the front seven, just top to bottom. I think the defensive line is going to take a big step. I think the linebackers, we all know how talented that is. I think most of the secondary, like the safeties and the nickel position, I love. And I love one of the corners. It's just that other corner spot. I go, boy, that can be a – all it takes is one really big weak link on a defense and at that specific position, and you can get burnt. If you can't play one-on-one on, a, on an island out there, you know, consistently without getting, you know, burnt down field for big gains, that's a problem. So, and I, I, I know that's probably one that people feel a little better than I do, but we didn't really get to see a lot of these guys during the spring. And so I kind of come out being a little bit more concerned than I probably should be. So that's the one on defense that if I'm concerned is, is kind of, at least is hovering in my mind. Of yeah. I think the DBs are, you certainly wonder. Um, and look, to make the college football playoff, they're going to have to have great quarterback play. They're going to have to have, a defense that prevents the big play, which is the DBs, essentially. Um, a lot of the time, yeah. And, and then you need to be able to either beat Ohio State and get through the Pac-12 slate with one loss or or fewer, or if you don't beat Ohio State, you have to go undefeated in conference play. And so I, I think it, it, it's, it feels very cliche and simplistic to say that, but – I feel like that's kind of the parameters for Oregon. Like if you're going to, if they're going to make the playoff, you can't have a screw up game where you, you lose to an opponent. You shouldn't lose to that's the Cal. That's the Oregon state. Um, th- those are the games you cannot lose. If you want to make the college football playoff, you have to beat the opponents and they should be ranked in my eyes favorites against everybody. Maybe, maybe the only game that they're not a favorite against is Washington up in Washington. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's and from a conference perspective that they'll be underdogs against Ohio state. And so for me, you, you have to be good in quarterback play. The defense can't consistently give up big plays. They've got to be real. Like remember in 2019, how Oregon's defense was so good against the big play. Like, it felt like there were so few of those big plays where it'd be a 50-yard touchdown, a 30-yard touchdown. Like Oregon literally made you dink and dunk all the way down the field to score. And more often than not, their defense would hold you to a field goal or they'd create a turnover. And that's how they won the conference. And that's how they got to the pack. That's how they got to the, the, the Rose Bowl. And that's what you have to replicate defensively uh, if you're going to do that to get to the college football playoff. All right, let's wrap it up with this question from Just Tax the Rich. Um, no comment on the, the, the Twitter <laughs> handle. Um, 
Jay Toy seems like just what the Ducks need on the D-line and is from Inglewood. So he didn't transfer from USC to be closer to home. Right. What are the chances that Oregon goes after him? More generally, is the current transfer portal on Oregon's radar? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, wanted to provide context before I just jump into this conversation about the portal and then about trying to, I'm not sure how I'm pronouncing this name. Jay Toy. Toya. So, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's played at USC last couple of years. He's one of their top interior linemen. He's, he's looking for another place to play. Um, I think from a fit perspective, sure, he would probably have a good chance of challenge to, challenging to play. And you would always, of course, want to take a player that you think could start or push to start. But I also don't necessarily look at Oregon's D-line and be like, gosh, they, they need someone like this. Um, and so I think that's the challenge for me of, of like, I don't know if Oregon needs to bend over backwards for an interior defensive lineman. They've got a lot of young, talented players that I think they feel really good about. Um, Matt, what are you hearing on, on this particular player? And then the second question about the transfer portal. It is kind of notable that we've seen the, the men's basketball program, the women's basketball program, bring in multiple transfers from other schools, but the football program has not. Um, do, you, do you think that's strategic or is that just kind of the way that this offseason has played out? Uh, I think that's kind of how the offseason has played out because Oregon only has a couple spots that they can give exactly to any new new and you know uh, additions before this upcoming season. I think it's basically one right now. And you have to save that until you 100% know um, JTT, the number one player in the 2021 class, is not going to sign with Oregon. So – uh, as good as Jay uh, Toyo is, and he was a class of 2021. So he was supposed to be a true freshman this upcoming season. He took uh, part in spring ball for the Trojans. Um, I, I, I think as good as he was, 6'2", 315, could, could really be a, a key cog in the middle of your defensive line for years to come. You, you have to wait for JT. You, you, absolutely have to wait you you can't um take this spot and remove it and remove your self-consideration from jtt until you know that he's not coming to oregon and so for right now oregon's kind of on the backboard i mean he went to with jay and you know, jay went to michigan this past weekend for a visit um ucla is i think probably where he will land um right now I, I think there's going to be a situation where something happened at USC. UCLA is in the same city, basically same area of, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the region. And he'll probably have a chance to, to walk right in and, and play right away. And so that's where I look at it. And until Oregon knows what the status is with JTT, you, you cannot give up that spot because so, like, how bad would it really be here? And I don't want to say this in a mean way, but if you land like a – and this isn't even a Jay Toya um, comparison, but, like, what? let's say a, a, a sophomore transfer calls you and says, you got three years of eligibility left, you played as a true freshman, wasn't a starter, wasn't an all-conference guy, wasn't a freshman all-American type guy, just a really solid freshman, okay? And he calls and says, hey, I want to, I want to come. I want to get back home. I want to play for you. I should have committed here in the first place. And you take his commitment and you know, he's, he's probably a year out from, from really helping you, but he's got a red shirt available. It's going to take some time. 
and you, you feel confident in two or so years, he could maybe become a, a, a really good starter for you. But then three weeks later, the number one player in the country who you view as a guy that could potentially start a guy that's going to be off to the NFL in three years calls and says, I want to come. And you have to tell him you don't have a spot. <laughs> like, like that's where Oregon's at right now with JTT and any other additions that they want to add to this, to this team is you got to wait a month because JTT is going to announce in, in about a month's time. And then after that, if you feel like you absolutely need to have another piece to the puzzle added to this team, then you can go in and, and you can get involved in the transfer portal. But until JTT decides, because this is a guy that's going to be three years and gone into the NFL, just like Kate Kayvon Thibodeau, you have to wait for him to make his decision. Yeah, there's, there's no way around it. He's, he's, he's the prize at the end of the tunnel that Oregon has been recruiting and waiting on for a really long time. And, Hey, you don't know. How, I mean, I think it's kind of telling, right. That they, that they're going to keep an, a spot open, that they think they have a really good shot here, that they've, they're hosting him for an official visit. I, you know, we've talked about how he'd fit into Oregon's defense if that were to be the, the case. And I just don't, I agree with you, Matt. It, and I'm sure this is obviously the logic they're using is if, if he's available, as long as he's available, you don't mess with that. You don't provide any opportunity where you could possibly lose on him because this would be a, a massive, massive addition. He would come in and have a huge impact right away and would, again, provide Oregon with another five-star, the best player in the country, and continue that dominance on the West Coast of, of landing and pulling a lot of these top, top guys. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back on Friday for another edition of the podcast. Also make sure to, to keep look, look out for next week's mailbag, start sending your questions into Eric. Now uh, that would be fine and, and would work. Um, we're getting more and more each week. It feels like, so thank you for submitting your questions. And until then you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast. Talk to you later folks.